Brilliant. Good morning, everyone. How are we this morning? Good. Enthusiasm from the front. I like it. So um, I just wanted to start off this morning by asking, um, who's into video games here? Is anyone a fan of video games? Or or maybe you were when you were younger. When you were younger, were you into video games? Yeah. Um, so we've recently had a really great time at our Mad Holiday Club. Um, so it wasn't last week, but the week before, uh, where the theme of the Holiday Club was video games. So each day of the Holiday Club had a different theme. Uh, we went through uh, FIFA, Splatoon, we had Minecraft. But I think by far the favourite theme of the week, or maybe it was just for us adults, but it was Mario Kart. Is anyone else a fan of Mario Kart? Yeah, we've got a few fans. Great. Um, so when I was a kid, we had a Nintendo 64. Anyone else into Nintendo 64? The kind of the one before the Wii. Um, so we had one of those, and, and I used to think it was the coolest thing ever. And as well as Mario Kart, I also just love to play Super Mario um, for the N64. So that's the one where there's kind of levels that you work through. And, and basically the, the idea of this game, it was set in a castle. And as you went into the castle, there was different rooms in the castle that as you went into, there'd be paintings on the wall or things that you could jump into that would basically take you to the level that you had to play. And basically what you had to do throughout each level, there was lots of challenges to complete or maybe there was a baddie to defeat and there was lots of opportunities to win these stars. And then when you won enough stars, you were rewarded with a key. And this key enabled you to unlock a different part of the castle that would take you to the next level of the game. Um, so as you completed the levels, as you won the stars, you were given more keys until eventually you had full access to all the floors in the castle and eventually you went on to face the big baddie. So, But anyway, that's the kingdom according to Super Mario and obviously that's not what I want to talk today about. I want to talk today about the kingdom of God and specifically what I've called my talk today is about kingdom keys. So I'm going to unpack that a little bit as we continue. But we're going through a series at the moment um, called The King and His Cross. We're going through the book of Mark. We're still in chapter one, so we're still in the early stages of Jesus' ministry. Um, so we're going to pick it up today in the book of Mark, chapter one, verse 35 to 39. So I'll just give you a minute to find that. We've got some Bibles on the end of the rows if you want to pick those up or you can swipe it on your phone. Um, but that's where we're going to be reading from today. So Mark chapter 1, 35 to 39, and it's entitled Jesus Prays in the Solitary Place. So let's just read that together. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Okay, so it's a short passage today, but this is the passage we're going to look at and just begin to unpack. You know, as we look at the book of Mark, Mark as an author is actually very intentional about the way that he structures the stories, the way that he puts them together uh, throughout the book. You know, he's always got something to say. He's always got a hidden underlying message. You know, last week, Julie looked at um, stories of healing and deliverance. And if we sneak a sort of sneak peek ahead to the next passage, we also see another story of healing, the healing of the man with leprosy. And so if we look at that last week, we looked at the story of healing and deliverance. And then the next passage is also about healing and deliverance. But then here we have a, almost like a break in the middle. And this small passage where Jesus, he takes time out. He goes to a place of solitude and he prays. 
And theologians actually think that this is quite an intentional technique. You know, this, this story sandwiched between these two other stories. And there's a very technical name for it. It's called a Markin sandwich. Okay, so it's as if the healing and deliverance on one side, that's the bread. The healing and deliverance on the other side, that's the bread. And then we've got this meaty bit in the middle section, and that's the fact that Jesus prays. And by using that technique, Mark is actually drawing attention to the importance of this action. He's basically highlighting this as something that's really significant and something that needs to be paid attention to. You know, it's a short passage. It didn't take us long to read, and it could be easy to rush past. But there's a really important message as we think about the kingdom of God here. So first of all, let's just start by summarizing. So verse 35 starts with very early. Can we all say that? Very early. Brilliant. Okay, so we touched on this last week. You know, the previous day, Jesus had been really busy. The people hadn't actually come to him until sundown because it had been the Sabbath. So he had been ministering into the late hours the night before. Yet he still got up the next day very early while it was still outside while it was still dark outside to find a solitary place to be alone with his father a place without people and without distractions because he needed to pray and then we see the disciples are looking for him and they tell him everyone is looking for you in effect the disciples are saying we've got an eager audience you know people are wanting to hear you they want to see you, you know come on but as Jesus had prayed, he'd had his instructions and he had heard from God. And we see in verse 38, he says, let us go to the nearby village so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. You know, Jesus is so aware of the purpose over his life. And that is to welcome the kingdom of God, to preach and to demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God throughout Israel. You know, maybe it could have been easy to stay with an already hungry and captive audience. But through prayer, he had heard the voice of God that was leading him and directing them to move. And so what did they do? They moved. They moved in obedience to the word of God. And then we see what happens next in verse 39. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. I kind of like that last line. It's almost like a throwaway kind of comment. Off they went preaching and driving out demons. Like it just makes it sound so simple. You know, there's no record of any struggle or challenge. No, the demons, they just had to go. When Jesus came into contact with them, they just had to go. You know, such was the measure of power and authority on Jesus' life. You know, equally, the previous story of healing and deliverance, there's no struggle. You know, Jesus prayed and people were healed and set free. Again, if we look ahead into the next chapter of the man with leprosy, you know, Jesus just touched him and he was healed. He carried so much power and authority. And what I think Mark is highlighting here is that Jesus was a man with kingdom power and authority. But here's why. Because he absolutely prioritized connection and intimacy with his father. You know, he sacrificed to make that time because he understood the importance of it. Prayer and connection to God. That was the very thing that sustained him, that guided him and empowered him. You know, we need to remember that even though Jesus was the son of God, he came to earth and ministered as a man. You know, he set aside and surrendered the privilege of his divinity in order to model to us the kind of life that the father wants to make available to every believer, to every person that puts their faith in God. You know, the Bible says the same power and authority is available to them. In the book of John 14, 12, it says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and he will do even greater things 
because I am going to be with my Father. You know, that's a really mind-blowing challenge in verse. But ultimately, Jesus is setting the example for us to follow. He carried the kingdom wherever he went, and as a result, lives were changed. And he's inviting us to do the same. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. And welcoming and representing the kingdom of God is part of what he's calling us to do. So as we look at this short passage, I see three keys here to help us unlock the potential in all of us to be able to welcome that same kingdom reality into our lives and then hopefully as a result out into the lives of other people in the world around us. So the first kingdom key is one it's to pursue God. You know, we see again and again all the way through the Gospels, Jesus' absolute commitment to prayer and spending time with his Father. He was committed to pursuing and hearing the voice of God and then moving out of that place in obedience. It was a lifestyle. It was a spiritual ha- habit. It was a discipline that he had actually developed over years. You know, for Jesus, his pursuit of God started at an early age. And we see the first record of of kind of the earliest years of Jesus um, going to the temple at the age of 12. And we see that in the book of Luke in chapter 2. It gives an account where Jesus went missing um, when they'd gone to the feast of the Passover. But where was he found? He was found by his mother in the temple courts. Verse 46 says that he was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. You know, such was his hunger to know God. And verse 47 says, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. You know, his pursuit of God was evident to all at the age of 12. But his public ministry doesn't begin until the age of 30. So there's this large period of undocumented time in Jesus' life, the kind of hidden years of Jesus. And we kind of see that alluded to um, later on in the book of Mark when he visits Nazareth. And, and the Nazarene's response to Jesus kind of shows us a bit about his hidden years. It says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? You know, that shows us Jesus lived hid the hidden years of his life as a carpenter. He was a son. He had brothers and sisters. You know, he lived just a normal life in Nazareth. In that, in that hidden, hidden from the world, and hidden, who he truly, and it was hidden from people who he truly was. The people of Nazareth saw him grow up as a man, not in public ministry, and his pursuit of God all the time. I think happening in the secret place, waiting on God's timing, allowing God to speak to him, to shape his values, to whisper the secrets of heaven, and giving him words and directions about who he was and what his future calling was. You know, the things for us that we give our time and energy to, to pursuing, I think that can reveal the desires of our hearts. And it's a choice that God gives us the freedom to make. Only we can choose whether to seek first the kingdom of God or whether we spend our time and our energy pursuing other things in the world. You know, it's not real love if someone forces you to choose them. You know, God doesn't force it on us. You know, and I think we often get pulled in many directions by the things of the world rather than the pursuit of God or, or to the point that maybe the pursuit of God can become secondary to other things in the world. Maybe the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of a career or financial security, family, relationship, Instagram followers, you know, whatever it is. And we need to ask ourselves honestly as we come before God, what is the thing that takes up my time and my attention? 
What is the number one focus of my life? And I think that God wants to invite us to make the pursuit of the kingdom of God our number one focus, our top priority. And that doesn't make us irrelevant to the world, but actually it positions us to help the world. In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. The choice is to come before him. The choice is to make time in our day, to make it a priority right at the start of the day, to get up very early. You know, choosing him and choosing to turn our attention and our affection to the kingdom of God first before all other things. You know, delight in our hearts in him, worshipping him, enjoying him, feeding ourselves with his word, coming before him in worship, looking to hear from him. You know, all of these things help in the pursuit of God. And as we do these things, our heart becomes changed. Our heart becomes, our heart becomes his heart. The things that are on his heart, he shares with us and our desires begin to come into alignment with his. Jesus spent many years continuing to seek the Father and his will for his life. But he embraced the process and waited patiently on God's perfect timing. You know, he didn't move before it was the time was right and before God told him to go. You know, it's often easy to become a Christian and to get frustrated at what appears to be the lack of power and authority in the church. It's easy to question, you know, why don't we get to see the same levels of miracles that Jesus got to experience? You know, and I really believe that it's God's desperate desire for his church to once again be a people that, of miracles and power and spiritual authority. But there is a process that we need to go, to go through in order to be mature enough to carry these incredible gifts. In his book, uh, Face to Face with God by Bill Johnson, there's a part where he says that God desires to release gifts to us more than we desire to receive them. He is just too merciful to release gifts upon us that he would have to judge us for later because we failed to carry them with integrity. You know, when I first read that, it arrested my spirit. And I began to realise that there's a part that I have to play in order to see the greater anointing, in order to see um, the greater level of power in my life, the greater level of giftings. You know, we have to be faithful with what God has already given us in order to, um, to increase, in order for that to increase. You know, we need spiritual disciplines. We need to know how to come to the Father. We need to be humble and teachable. But above all else, we need his kingdom priorities to be first in our heart above all else. And we need to steward well the gifts that he has given us already. You know, A.W. Tozer, I just really wanted to take a minute to recommend this book. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And he's a theologian um, who was sort of minister in in the early kind of 1900s but this book is still so relevant you know every so often you get a book that you read that's kind of a bit of a game changer well this for me was one of them and I really want to recommend that Um, I've got quite a few quotes that I've used from that throughout my talk Um, but A.W. Tozer he says as we begin to focus upon God the things of the spirit take shape before our inner eyes you know the unseen kingdom of God starts to become clear as we spend time in his presence You know, his will for our life starts to become clear as we spend time in his presence. He also says our pursuit of God is only successful because it is his desire to make himself known to us. You know, I really believe that. I really believe that the Lord is desperate to be known by us. And I just feel this morning he wants to give us a fresh invitation to pursue and encounter him. 
So it's the first key. It's so necessary in living a powerful, kingdom-orientated Christian life. So that was number one. The next key to unlocking the kingdom of God is hearing and obeying God's voice. After the disciples found Jesus, they said to him in verse 38, let's go. Um, Jesus said to them, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby village, to preach there, because that is why I have come. And that's just a highlight that in his time alone with God, Jesus had heard him speak. He heard him give direction and guidance. He'd heard God give direction and guidance about where they were meant to go next. It would have been easy for Jesus to stay. But he had heard God. And I just wonder when we think of Christian prayer, you know, what, was, what action is it that we're thinking of? Is prayer simply coming to God with a list of things that we want to get off our, our chest or a list of sins that we need to confess? You know, what we see in this model of prayer is Jesus having communion with God. You know, the dictionary definition of communion is about sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially on a mental, a mental or spiritual level. I love that thought, though. It's an intimate exchange of thoughts and feelings. You know, it's a two-way process. You know, we can give to God our thoughts and concerns, but equally we wait on him and we listen and we hear his. But there can be many challenges to hearing the voice of God. I think one of the biggest challenges for us in our lives is busyness, or rather the kind of busyness of heart. But as we look at the life of Jesus, he had such a busy schedule. You know, he was as busy as anyone's ever been. Crowds of people continuing to surround him and seek him out and draw for him and be in need of him. Yet Jesus' heart was still towards God and he still prioritised taking that time alone to be in his presence. It was a lifestyle and it was a lifestyle that he was prepared to sacrifice in order to maintain. You know, in the busyness of his schedule, Jesus prioritised not only pursuing God, but waiting on him and hearing his voice to guide him in his ministry. And I believe he wants all of us to have that place of intimacy in our lives, where he can speak over us, where he can guide us, when he can direct us in our lives. From our jobs, to our finances, to the gifts that he wants to grow us in, to people he wants us to connect with. You know, the truth is God has so much that he wants to say to us. And we all have the potential to hear God in our lives. You know, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and we have this connection to God. For those of you that don't know me, I work in A&E at the hospital and sometimes in the hospital I'll go into a cubicle or the bay to see a patient to take a history and as I start speaking to the patient they'll say something like, excuse me dear, but I'm a bit deaf. And so what did I do in that moment? Did I just say, oh, well, tough? You know, of course I don't. <laughs> you know, I speak a little bit louder in order that they can hear me. You know, I want to be heard by the patient. I want to be able to communicate well with them. You know, how much more does God want to be heard by us? You know, God wants to be heard by us so much that he sent his son to die in order that we could come into his presence and hear from him. And there's so many ways that he speaks to us. You know, hearing the voice of God is no longer a gift for a few wise men with beards, you know, like it was in the Old Testament. You know, this is the New Testament. And he sent his son to die so that every single one of us could know an intimate and personal relationship with him. The continuous and unembarrassed interchange of love and thought between God and soul and God and the soul of the redeemed man is the throbbing heart of New Testament religion. Again, A.W. Tozer. 
But we all hear God in different ways, don't we? But we can hear him if we set our minds towards him. You know, a good starting place is just opening his word and inviting the Holy Spirit to come and speak to our hearts through his word. Or maybe in in worship, as we just focus our minds, as we take time to just still our hearts, as we focus our minds on him, inviting him to come and speak to us. He wants to speak to us about his plans for us. He wants to bring challenge. He wants to make us become the best versions of ourselves. You know, he wants to bring guidance in our daily lives. You know, he's so interested in our daily lives and just the stuff that we have to go through. He wants to speak into that. He wants to help us to grow in order that we can receive more of him. And the Bible is such an awesome book that contains so much truth and wisdom. But ultimately, the truth of the Bible is that it's pointing us towards a relationship with him. And our goal is not just to know a book, but rather it's to know the author of the book. That's what he's inviting us into. So just his word alone isn't the end. We need his now voice speaking into our lives. You know, the Bible says man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds the mouth of God. You know, he has a now voice that is relevant to our lives and he wants to speak to us and he wants to be heard by us. He speaks in so many ways. He speaks through circumstances, through his words, through other people, maybe through words or pictures, dreams or visions. But often it's the still small voice and we need to teach ourselves how to hear that. We need to spend time finding out what our heavenly language is. We need to spend time finding out how do we hear God. You know, recently I was reflecting on that one of the challenges of our faith is often not in our inability to hear God, but often in our willingness to instead focus on other voices. You know, in this day and age, there's so many voices competing for our time and our attention. So we need to be intentional in the pursuit of God's voice. You know, often the things of the kingdom are not as visible as the things of the world. And it's easy to be distracted and caught up in the world if we're not spending time coming into his presence and being with him. So we need to find that place of solitude like Jesus did. A place where we can go, a place of peace, a place without distraction and disruption. And we need to go there often. You know, God wants us to grow us in those gifts. You know, when we're not hearing God, it's often easy to focus on the fact that maybe some other people find it easier and maybe we beat ourselves up kind of thinking, oh, I'm not as good a Christian as they are. Like they obviously hear God better than me. But you haven't seen the process that's occurred in their life. You know, I remember um, when I first became a Christian and I was hanging out with some girls that were very prophetic and just seemed to find it really easy to hear the voice of God. And I really struggled with that. I really felt intimidated by them. And when we'd gather to pray, I'd be too scared to pray out loud because I felt like my prayers sounded too simple and too stupid. But watching them move in the gift, it like ignited a hunger in me for something for the prophetic. And so I began to learn about it. I began to get hold of books. I used to read about it. And then I found this prophetic course to go on. I went along to the workshop. And I really remember the first time as they went around, everyone was kind of stepping out in the prophetic and giving these words. But I was struggling. Like I had nothing. And I was just feeling really rubbish about myself. And I was there like straining with everything in me. Like, please, God, just speak to me. I just want to hear something. And eventually this tiny, little really simple picture just like popped into my head and I spoke it out and people just really encouraged me and and I just continued to grow in that gift through the encouragement of other people it started so simply and but just continued to grow in that gift and years later now even now I'm still learning you know we're all on a journey of learning and I love the prophetic but it started with me having to pursue a gift that I was hungry to have 
Over the summer, I was at uh, Naturally Supernatural and again went to another prophetic workshop. Um, a few years down the line, perhaps feeling a little bit more confident. And we split into our times of um, group kind of giving out words again. And the first time we went and I gave these two people these words and they came to me at the end. They were like, that was awesome. That was so spot on. And, you know, there's me feeling really good with myself, thinking, yeah, I'm finally getting to flow in the prophetic and, you know, starting to feel maybe a little bit proud. Um, and we had a break and then we went into the next session and I thought I was on a roll. So I just like released this word like over this guy. And he just looked at me. He was like, no, that doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> and I was reminded in that moment that, you know, pride comes before a fall. <laughs> um, but the point is that I'm still learning. Like we're all still learning and we can't let failing a few times stop us from pursuing his voice. You know, I don't think God cares if we fail, but he does care that we give it a try. And we need to embrace the learning process. You know, God wants to grow us all in our accuracy and power, but we need to go through the process in order to grow uh, grow in the gift. So that was the second thing. The third and final thing I want to look at is about moving in the power of God. That this is a key to releasing heaven on earth, moving in the power of God. And we come back to that verse at the end about how they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogue and driving out demons. You know, the power of God is key to releasing the reality of heaven on earth. Demons had to flee. Sickness had to go. But I actually think that the two previous keys that we look at, the key of pursuing God and the key of hearing his voice, they actually took work together in order to be able to unlock this key of power and authority. It's a bit like in Super Mario, if you've played it, you know, you need one key in order to be able to get the, to get the next key. You know, you can't jump ahead. You can't jump the level. You know, each level as you go gets harder. But as you've managed to complete each level along the way, you're also learning the skills that you need in order to be able to attempt the next level. It gets harder as you go, but also your skills improve as you go. And, you know, it's not about levels in God and we don't earn things through works. But there is a biblical principle about good stewardship of his gifts that leads to increase. And that as we grow in the gifts of God and in our effectiveness, also the enemy doesn't like that. And he can often bring challenge and sometimes um, it's a bit harder. But because we've learned those basic skills of coming to God, of pursuing God and hearing his voice, we're able to handle the challenges that the enemy would want to face us with. God gives us and equips us all that we need to be successful along the way. And as we're faithful with what he's given us, he can increase on, He can increase his spirit on us. And so it goes on. It's process. It's process. Process, increase. Process, increase. So the power of God, I believe, goes hand in hand with the lifestyle of pursuing God, hearing his voice and moving in obedience to him. And I think that's the main point that Mark was trying to make. His main reason for positioning this text right in between these two deliverance and healing stories. It was intimacy and prayer and total devotion to God that ultimately fueled Jesus' ministry of power and authority. If we zoom out and look at the big picture, 12-year-old Jesus to Jesus at the cross, it was a lifetime of prayer and devotion, pursuing the kingdom of God. He knew who he was, he knew what he was called to, but he stayed focused and obedient through every challenge that came his way. And it's interesting, you know, Jesus never prayed for a single sick person that wasn't healed. And it's easy to think that that's because he was the son of God, but he ministered as a man. And he got to the point where he where every person he prayed for was healed. However, the disciples struggled at times. You know, Jesus didn't just keep the power to himself. He gathered people around him to disciple and to teach them and to bring them on board and show them and teach them what he was doing. But the disciples had to learn. You know, they weren't perfect. 
you know, among the medics at work, we have this saying that see one, do one, teach one. <laughs> but you'll be pleased to know that that's not actually the case. It takes doing something more than once or seeing something more than once before you become proficient in it. But the point is it's a culture of teaching and growth and developing and handing over your skills to the next generation coming up behind you. You know, Jesus was the same. He gathered the disciples to be with him, to watch and to learn. And then eventually he set them to work to go and try and do it for themselves. So he teaches the disciples. You know, the original Greek word for disciple actually means to be a learner doer, a learner doer. It's not just to stand by and watch someone else. It's actually to get involved and to do it. That's how we learn. You know, in the passage um, that we're looking at today, it's the early stages of Jesus' ministry. We're at the point where the disciples are just kind of watching and absorbing what's going on. But later in the book, we see Jesus bringing the disciples in and getting them involved in the, the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. You know, the disciples have a role in that to play as they watch these miracles happen before their eyes. And then later on in the book, in chapter 6, he sends them out. He gives them power and authority and sends them out to go and have a go. But at times they struggle. And there's a specific part in Mark chapter 9 where there's a man that brought his son. Maybe you'll remember the story. The man that brought his son to, to the disciples. He was afflicted by a spirit. And the, the disciples tried to deliver the boy, but they couldn't do it. And so in the end, the boy had to be brought to Jesus. And then Jesus managed it straight away, you know, first time. And later on, the disciples said to Jesus, why couldn't we drive, drive it out, drive that, that demon out? And Jesus replied, that kind can come out only by prayer. You know, what Jesus is really saying is that that stronghold could only be broken by the power and authority that comes from truly knowing God. It kind of does make me wonder what exactly the disciples were doing before. But then again, when we look at the story, they had seen Jesus deliver people and heal people simply through touch. You know, they hadn't maybe quite got um, the, the sort of core message. Maybe they hadn't quite got that true kingdom power and authority comes on people who regularly pray and meet with God. But God gives us grace to learn, and that goes for all spiritual gifts. You know, sometimes the perfectionist in us beats herself up for not being the most amazing prophet or not being able to see healing happen when we pray for people. We compare ourselves to others, but they are further ahead in the journey. You know, we're all going through process. You know, what parent puts their child on a bike for the first time and just expects them to be able to cycle around the park? <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen. We need the process of falling off. We need, to, we need to practice it. We need to persevere. We need to get it wrong. And then we need to try again. And as a church, we need to have grace for ourselves to make mistakes and grace for others as they make mistakes, but all of us to have a heart to want to grow in the things of God. You know, we can practice moving in the power of God. You know, it's okay to practice. It's okay to get it wrong because our hearts are for him. So getting it wrong and mistakes shouldn't stop us. In fact, we just need a culture of encouraging each other to go for it. You know, I went through a season in my life where I was really fascinated by revival history. I was kind of on a mission to try and find out, you know, what is the kind of formula to see the power of God move in your life? You know, great men and women of God, they were seeing incredible manifestations of power and authority in their lives. And the thing that marked all of their ministries was their lives of intimacy, of disciplined prayer and faithfulness to God. And as you read the story, some of them crashed and burned at the end of their lives because in the success of their ministry, they lost sight of the two foundational keys. Pursue God, 
hear his voice and be obedient. You know, Jesus modeled for us what it was to live a human life filled with power and authority, what it is to truly be able to welcome heaven on earth. And he invites us to do the same. You know, I believe the resources of heaven are at our disposal and we just need to choose to go on a journey with God to unlock it. So these are the starting places to pursue God above anything else, to hear his voice and move in obedience to him and to begin to step out and grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, how far we go and how much of that we can unlock, I believe, is up to how much we choose to pursue God in our lives. Why don't we stand?